Bible and knowledge of the Old Testament. There was a time when God had his people, the nation of Judah, taken away into captivity in Babylon. Babylon led at that time by King Nebuchadnezzar. And you know by your reading that the book of Daniel, and Daniel personally himself, is associated with this deportation of God's people uh, to Babylon. You also know that the culture, society around us is not just in decline, but it is decaying every second of the way. And we have Daniel here before us who can perhaps help us to be godly in a decaying culture. How can we be godly in a decaying culture? As I said, I don't think I have to tell you. We could bring up examples from school teachers, political leaders, CEOs, television commentators, all across our land that would show and illustrate the decaying culture around us. I could pull up on my computer, which is sitting right here in the front row. All I have to do is just hit one little spot, and I can pull up a picture of the cartoon show Arthur. And all those characters in Arthur are standing around at a wedding. And the teacher in Arthur, he's been the teacher there all these years, Mr. Radcliffe. He is standing there with his special someone, also portrayed as a male. And all those characters are standing around witnessing this marriage. PBS is celebrating this. The decaying culture around us. So here in Daniel, we will use the situation here in Daniel to help us to analyze what's going on, but also to see how we can live godly in a decaying culture. First of all, I want you to notice some similarities with me for just a minute or two, some similarities between then and now. The first similarity is this. Then the people of God from Judah, they found themselves in a foreign land. Foreign land. You look here in Daniel 1, verses 2 and 3. They were brought from the land of Judea to the land of Shinar. That is, the land of the Chaldeans. The land of Babylon. So they find themselves in a foreign land. As we follow Christ today, we find ourselves in the same situation no matter where we're at. You see, Paul tells us, in Philippians 3 and verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we, we wait, we look for a Savior, who is Jesus the Lord. Leading up to Philippians 3, uh, 20, Paul had just said that, that those of the world, they mine earthly things, but those who follow Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, that here on earth we are but sojourners and strangers. We are strangers and pilgrims in this journey of life. This world is not our home. We are literally passing through. But as we pass through, the Lord wants us to have a great impact uh, for Him in the years that we have, that we have here. 
You see, we will never be the home team. As followers of Christ, we will never be the home team. We will always be the visiting team. And whenever we seek to do something for Christ, we are most likely going to be booed. We're going to be booed. You see, Jesus says in John 15, 18, and 19, the world is going to hate you because it hated me first. And so, just like Daniel and his friends are in Babylon, so we are on a foreign soil today as well. A second similarity is that they were in Babylon because of spiritual rebellion. They were in Babylon because of spiritual rebellion. Jeremiah and the other prophets had warned continuously that if they continued in their idolatry, God had a plan for them. God had judgment waiting on them. And that judgment would be in the form of Babylonian uh, captivity. Now this is exactly what is taking place. The, the people have earned uh, their captivity. So our decaying culture around us is here because of spiritual rebellion. As Paul mentions in Acts 13 and 46, the Jews of his day had thrust the gospel away from them. So our society has done. So our country has done. So the church has done in many regards. Has just cast the gospel away. And we are left with a decaying uh, culture. You see, We look around in just about every major institution, whether it's, whether it's commercial, whether it's, it's retail, whether it's, it's entertainment, whether it's sports, whether it's... It's news. It doesn't matter whether it's media, whether it's social media. All of them are God deniers and they're proud of it. They're all denying God, not even whispering about it, not even ashamed about it. They're all God deniers. This is the culture we have. And it is because of spiritual rebellion. Proverbs 14.34 still says, Righteousness exalts the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And we are in a reproach. By far. Another similarity is that in Babylon, as they carried the people away, they also carried vessels. If you notice it here in Daniel 1, uh, 2 through 4, they carried vessels from the house of God, the temple of God, items from the temple of God, and brought them over to Babylon and placed them in the houses of, of Nebuchadnezzar's false gods. False gods. Even so today, things which belong to God Almighty, the devotion and faith that belongs to Jesus Christ and Him alone, is now being given to a lot of other sources, such as political leaders, such as medical authorities, such as entertainment specialists, such as sports enthusiasts, such as newscasters, and the, list, the doctrines of men. And the list goes on and on and on. We take the devotion and faith and trust that belongs upon Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we now give it to all these other sources. And then another comparison similarity from Babylon's day to our day is that Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon came after the young people. You notice it here in Daniel 1, 4, and 5. They came after the young people. They came after the children. Daniel was young. His friends with him were young. They were teenagers. And on purpose, they came after these guys. They came after them because they were young. They were strong. They, they were, their mind was full of, of goodness and knowledge. They had great talent. They came after them. Even so today, 
even so today. The culture, give the culture credit. Give society, society credit. It's not just happened overnight. Years and years and years ago. Those of you who are now grandparents and great-grandparents, back when you were young, they started with a great, purposely planned scheme to go after our young people and they've done a good job of it. You see, what they wanted to do in Babylon was to take the young people and reprogram them. They wanted them to no longer be Israelites. But they wanted them to think and to breathe like Babylonians. They wanted them to walk and talk like, like Babylonians. And so even today, they're trying to deprogram Christians. Take that out of the way. And so we see here first, this morning, some similarities. Now... Think about this deprogramming they wanted to do there in Babylon with Daniel and other people and his friends. What was their strategy? So the second part of our lesson is notice some strategies that Babylon used, that's being used today, to try to deprogram, reprogram the young people. What are some of these strategies? Well, the first strategy is separation from their, from their family, separation from mom and dad. Obviously, they brought Daniel as a teenager way over, separating him from the influence of his family, influence of, of his training, influence of the scriptures over into Babylon, this foreign place. And their hopes were that the young people then would be as sitting ducks. They would be as easy prey for them to take the Babylon culture and, and eat them up and eat them up. And it is shocking how today that we have almost just complied with the culture on this. It seems like that there's an absolute rush to the door with our children. There's an absolute rush for our children. Once they're in our home, we want them out of our home. So, you know, you, you don't just have third grade or second grade or just first grade. You've got kindergarten, and you've got preschool, and then you've got pre-preschool, and then you've got pre-pre-preschool. And what is the rush? What is the rush? What is wrong with mom? What is wrong with dad? These are the first teachers of our children. These are God's teachers for our children. And this is one of the strategies used is to get the children away from their parents. A second strategy is, of course, then following that, is to dismantle the family. Dismantle the family. This is what Babylon wanted. Babylon wanted to create a chaotic situation where they bring some of the children over, maybe some of the parents over, but they wouldn't be, some of them would be serving in the palace, some of them would be serving out on the farmland and the different cities, but just create a complete dismantling of the family. And that's what they did, and this is what has happened uh, today. And again, uh, it seems like our people in general, okay, I'm not talking about you and me, I'm talking about people in general, seem to have just gone right along with it, and divorce is, is one of the main foundations of the dismantling of the family, one of the main culprits of the dismantling of the family. It's unbelievable to hear men say that they're going to think about divorce because I'm just no longer happy. I'm just no longer happy. There has got to be more man in you than that. There's got to be more man there than that. I'm just not happy. I'm just not happy. Have you 
look from the other side and see what she's had to put up with now for these years. But divorce based on that sort of of absolute uh, silliness. And divorce based on the fact, well, she's not treating me right. She's not treating me right. Boy, that whoever, whatever man might say that in a marriage situation, he has a rude awakening coming at some point. As if everybody in life is supposed to treat you right. You're not going to be treated right hardly ever in life. Just get used to it. What you ought to do in marriage, though, is double down. Double down. And you tell your lady who's willing to put up with you that that you're going to be there, you're going to love her more, you're going to learn more about God. That's That's the two secrets to family living, is to learn more about God and learn to love more like God. And your family's going to be fine. But the sad situation is that 70% now, 70% of American families right now, 70% the children are being raised by, by a single parent. And probably more than that, by an absent parent who's actually there but who's not doing anything. And the culture loves this. What the culture loves is chaos. And the dismantling of the family brings chaos. And then they add other chaos to it. And what they want us to do is to be waiting on and focus on the next episode of chaos so that they can continue to control and to do and to teach our children what they want to be taught. So the second strategy is the dismantling of the family. And the third strategy is, of course, reprogramming doctrine, indoctrination. The next strategy is indoctrination. Notice it here in Daniel 1 uh, for just a second. Notice here in the end of verse 4 says, We want to teach these young people we brought over here. We want to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. See that, verse 5? For three years, and then they were going to come and stand before the king and do his service. But first, he wanted to reprogram their teaching. He wanted to indoctrinate them with the teachings of Babylon. And so the same strategy is used today. To take out whatever has been placed in the hearts of our children and replace it with whatever doctrine it is. And the culture doesn't care as long as it's not God. The society around us, they don't care. The devil doesn't care what you believe as long as you're not believing in God. So whatever it might be, just believe in it. Right? Have you noticed how subtle this is? When you're watching a show, and any time they're showing a show and it's going to involve people, people are going to eat. How often the people who are eating on that show stop and pray? How often they do? They walk around, they stop at this joint, and they sit down and eat, and they're discussing whatever it is the show's about. They don't, they don't pray. They don't pray. How, how, when's the last time you saw someone who is bringing you the news stop and pray? This is supposed to be the most dire situations. You know, that's what everything is worse than it's ever been when you listen to newscasters. And have you ever saw a newscaster just stop and pray about it? I mean, it's, it, this is a life-ending situation. Wouldn't you think that their faith would bring them to pray? Of course not. 
and it's on purpose because we're, we're, we're removing God. There's just no God. So why would you refer to God when there's not supposed to be a God? If looking at ourselves, have you noticed your tolerance level? Your toler- tolerance level. Your offense level. You remember that there was some there was a point sometimes at some point back in the future where you would not tolerate a word being said, that word or this word being said from the television or from the radio or radio or from someone. From someone. Have you noticed that your tolerance level, your offense level has changed now? Perhaps you are not near as offended by the ungodliness as you used to be. You see, it's how subtle it is. Okay, that's all part of the reprogramming of our our doctrine, what we really truly believe uh, down deep in our hearts. Back when we were on the campus of Faulkner, Coach Sanderson, Coach Sanderson was our basketball coach, and I would go down when the team was practicing, and I would hang out with him some in the gym, and he was. Standing up in the bleachers one day and had the team scrimmaging and he stopped. And he stopped. Everybody had to stop. Everybody had to go to the line. One of the fellows said a bad word the last time down the court. And I didn't know it until that day. But the rule was if ever there was a bad word said during practice or game, you will pay for it by running until you can't run no more. And that's what he started doing. He was teaching them a, a high level of offense at ungodly uh, things. You see, this is the strategy of the world. To separate from parents, to dismantle the family, and then to reprogram the doctrine. And then the next step here in Babylon was to re-identify, re-identification. You see, they changed the names of these fellows. And we often focus on Daniel... But these men were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Mishael, and Azariah. But Daniel's name, you notice the E-L on the end? Okay. That is put there because one of God's names in the Old Testament is Elohim. Elohim. Daniel's name means God is the judge. And so his parents named him that on purpose because from the time he came out and into this world to the every time that his name is called, everybody who was in the hearing and Daniel himself would understand and remember that the Lord God is the judge. And so Babylon couldn't have that. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have that. So he changed his name to Belteshazzar. Of course he did. They began to re-identify them. You think we're having any trouble today with a reorientation of young people at all? Parents, from the time when your children are very, very young, as early as possible, we need to start teaching them that we belong to Jesus Christ, that we are Christians. We are, we are a Christian family. They will learn what it is to be a Christian later on in life, and they will obey the gospel and actually experience and be a Christian. But from the time they can hear, from the time they can talk, we are a Christian family. That's the name God has given us. Acts 11, verse 26. The disciples were called Christians. 1 Peter 4, verse 16. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. We are not ashamed. I know 
Other people in the world call themselves Christians and not, they're not living according to the New Testament. But that doesn't mean that we're supposed to disobey and not use the word Christian. We're to use that word. And we're to hear that word. We are Christians. We belong to Christ and to no, nobody else. No one else owns us. No one. Not our jobs. Okay? Not, not anybody around us. The only person that owns us is Jesus Christ. But this is what they started doing. This is, this is their plan. How do you reprogram young people? Well, you begin to, to teach them to re-identify uh, themselves. And then the final part of the strategy was to gratify. You notice it here in Daniel 1, verse 5. They gave them, in this process, they gave them the king's food and the king's wine. If you'll follow our plan for you, we've got some good things waiting for you. You've got you a government job waiting on you. You'll serve in the king's palace. You'll get the king's food. You're going to have a very nice setup here. Okay? Just go along with our culture, go along with our, our teachings, and we will gratify uh, your everyday needs, and we'll make it good for you. All right, so how did Daniel, how did he thrive in such a culture? Daniel 1 verse 8, he drew a line in the sand. He drew a line in the sand. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that's what we must do today. We must draw a bold line in the sand. Daniel said in his mind, he made up his mind, they will not take my faith away from me. They can take me away from my home. They can take me away from my family. They can make me serve here at this palace. But they will not take my faith away from me. My faith is not for sale. That's what Daniel will say. We must teach our children to draw a line in the sand. It must be a Bible-based line. You see, by Daniel refusing the food here, this has association with, with the fact that he was an Israelite and that he was living under the old law of Moses. And if you go back to Leviticus 7, Leviticus 11... Certain parts of the book of Exodus, you see that part of the commands were you don't eat things that are unclean. And you don't eat things associated with false gods either. So for them to try to get Daniel to eat certain things was much, just as much saying to him, you need to put your faith aside. Daniel said, I'm not putting my faith aside. My faith is not for sale. He drew a line in sand. This line that we draw must be a Bible-based line that we draw. For time's sake, jump on over to Daniel 6 and jump on over several years. Daniel being a teenager in chapter 1, he's now about 80-something years old by Daniel 6. You see, Babylon had come and gone. The Persians, by Daniel chapter 5 and 6, the Persians have taken over Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar is now dead, but Daniel is still there. Daniel is still there. And even into his 80s, he is still drawing a line in the sand. So there in Daniel 6 is now Darius. Okay? And the Persians don't like Daniel. Please underscore this. The world will never appreciate godliness. The Babylonians didn't appreciate it. 
The Persians didn't appreciate it. They didn't like that Daniel was godly. They didn't like his behavior. They were trying to find something against him. They said, we won't be able to do anything against Daniel unless we somehow contrive it out of his faith. So they came up with a scheme, as you know. Whoever in the next 30 days calls upon any god or any person other than you, O king, then let that person be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel heard it. The document was signed. Look at Daniel 6 and verse 10. When the document was signed, the first thing Daniel did, this is a bold line in the sand. The first thing he does, he goes to that same room he always goes to, and he prays. He prays. And here's what our man Daniel did. He opened up those windows. He was not going to be a secret agent for the Lord. He had never closed those windows in years past. He had always went into that room, opened up those windows toward Jerusalem, and there he prayed. Just because some king signed some document, just because the government said you cannot pray any longer, was not going to affect Daniel. No siree. He went right back, just like he had always done. He opened up those windows. If those little secret agents from King Darius wanted to peep in, let's let them come and peep in. Let them come and stand at the window. I'm going to pray as I always pray. And notice how bold Daniel is. He gets down on his knees. You don't have to get down on your knees to pray, you know. You don't have to. You can pray standing up. You can pray walking around. You can pray laying down. I think there's something about this with Daniel to get down on his knees like he always does. He could have faked it. And some of you, maybe even I would do this. Maybe you would say, okay, I've got to be smart in this situation. So I'm going to pray to God. But I'm just going to walk around in this room and pray to God. So it won't look like to those guys on the outside that I'm praying, but I'll know that I'm praying. That's not our man Daniel. Daniel wanted people to know who he belonged to. And just like he had always done, he got down on his knees and he prayed. He prayed. The line that we draw on the sand must be based on the Bible and it must be bold. It must be bold. And those friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they also did this. You remember they're facing, they're facing of the fiery furnace in Daniel 3, 16 to 18. And they told Nebuchadnezzar then, We believe that our God is able to deliver us out of this fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, O king, we will not serve your gods. We will not bow down to your golden image. This is how you survive. This is how you thrive. In a godless culture, you draw a line in the sand. Have you drawn that line today? Is that line clearly drawn? We don't want a little almost line drawn in the sand. We want it bold. We want it bold. God wants it bold. Have you drawn that line in the sand? And have you kept it drawn? One thing to draw it as a teenager Daniel's still doing it even in older ages. Can we assist you in gospel obedience today? Can we help you go into the 
waters of baptism and come up in newness of life, can we, can we pray with you? Can we study with you? Whatever your need may be, please make that known right now as we stand together and as we sing this great song, Brother Bean.